Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. For the past three weeks, we've looked at the churches revealed as Jesus Christ gave a report card to each of seven churches that he chose to send a message to the congregation, to the pastor. He, uh, on five of them, they didn't get such great uh, grades, but God always gave them uh, mercy and grace and an encouragement to get back to their, the first things, to, to turn back to their love for Christ and, and, and God's word. Two of the churches got uh, really great grades, and, and um, the Lord encouraged them to continue as well. Today, we'll join the writer of this letter. Of course, it is the Apostle John. As he gets behind the curtain between life uh, presently and the life that's taking place right now in heaven, John continues on in chapter 5 with what he saw and what he experienced in the throne room of heaven, and he does his best to describe it to us. Verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him... Father God, who sat on the throne, a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now the scroll here mentioned, is it strongly resembles that of an official first century Roman will or title deed that was also fashioned exactly as this one. For a will or a deed to be official and considered valid and legit, it had to be sealed with seven seals in the presence of seven witnesses. So when you wrote your will out for your family, you had to have seven people that you trusted come over. And they would put, each one would put a seal with their signet ring in it. So there would be seven seals on your scroll that was rolled up. So there were pretty large scrolls back then. And, and then at some point, when at your death, it became necessary to look at this, this will or this title deed, then all seven of those witnesses had to be gathered into the room where you were about to read it. And they would make sure that their signet ring or their signet had not been broken. All seven had to witness this. The will here in Revelation 5 was the title deed to all creation. Originally in God's right hand, we read, but promised to Jesus for his perfect work of redemption on the cross. God speaking to Jesus back in Psalm 2, 7 and 8 said this to his son. He said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Everything created, God bequeathed to Jesus. It was rightfully his. Jesus is the heir to it all. He is the kinsman redeemer for all humanity and the rightful owner of it all because he paid for it with his blood. The deed is his and his alone. And I think of the song that I sang as a young child growing up in the church, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. It's all his. 
The Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain, is the only one that can open such an eternal, awesome, and powerful document such as the one described here. Verse 2, then I saw a strong angel. Now this could be Gabriel, it could be Michael. I, I couldn't decide, you know, and we're not told. Gabriel, of course, was the one who did most of the announcements in the Bible, so it could easily be Gabriel. Uh, Michael was the strong, powerful angel, the warrior angel, so it could be him too as, as described here. Who knows? It could be a third angel that we don't know uh, yet. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Not only can they not touch it or, or open it, we can't even look at it. It's that holy of a document. And at that moment, John realizes that unless the one who is the rightful heir of all creation opens it, unless this kinsman redeemer steps forward to claim his rightful claim, there can be no final disposition of mankind on the earth. Here's John's response to that. Verse 4, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. John weeps here because the fate of all humanity rests inside of that scroll that no, that no one who, who was present at least at this moment could open. Remember, we've been introduced into this amazing picture of heaven. We've been introduced to God at his throne. He's got the scroll in his right hand, but it is not his. The 24 elders, the four living creatures, and some angels we've all seen, but we have not seen the lion, and that scroll is his. He is the rightful heir who has sole rights to open the scroll and execute its authority, and God awaits his arrival. And when Jesus, the hero of all heroes, arrives here in this next paragraph, all praise and worship breaks loose in heaven. You recall that in chapter 4, we saw God the Father, our Creator, receiving worship. And in chapter 5 now, we're about to see the worship of the Savior. Continuing on, we see four reasons to worship the lion. Four, four reasons to worship the lion. Here's reason number one. Because of his three esteemed titles. His three esteemed titles. Verse 5, but one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Note to self, there are tears in heaven right now, but later on they will be dried and, and forevermore. We will not experience tears, but right now there are. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So John just breaks down crying because the one that he's looking for, the rightful heir to this scroll is not, is not in front of him. And one of the elders takes him on the shoulder and says, hey, don't cry. Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus makes his entry. And the ultimate introduction. Cue the spotlight, the music, and the worshipers. Letter A, we've 
We see the first title, the Lion of Judah. He's known as the Lion of Judah. The title Lion represents power and authority, uh, the king of the jungle, as it were, but also the king of all kings over all of creation. You may recall that Saul was Israel's first king, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin, not Judah. Scripture prophesied that Messiah would come from the line of Judah, and God used Saul as a punishment to Israel for demanding a man ruler rather than God himself. God was the rightful ruler of Israel. God had chosen Israel, and then Israel, in response, looked over the fence and saw other countries and that they had these awesome kings that wore crowns and they were really cool and their kings looked, you know, really amazing. Well, how come we don't have a king? We want a, a king. And they demanded a king to rule over them. God said, be careful what you wish for. But they demanded it and God said, okay, here you go. And he gave him Saul. And boy, what a nightmare that was. After Saul's reign, God chose David from the tribe of Judah to rule his people. And of course, Jesus is the descendant of David. He is in the root of David. And we're going to look at that in just a moment here. We've seen A, the first title is the Lion of Judah. Continuing on now in verse 5, we see letter B. The second title is the Root of David. Jesus is called the Root of David. Verse 5, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Only the root of David, only this lion of Judah can open the scroll. The title root root of David harkens to Jesus's pre-eternal state. In Matthew 24, 41, Jesus is talking um, to the Um, Pharisees here, and he points out that Messiah would be both David's descendant and his Lord. And and that kind of plays with your mind. How can he be, how can he pre-exist David, but be the root of David, which is the son of David? How could he be both? And he asks the Pharisees this question. The Pharisees had to know the answer, but they didn't want to give it. Because if they answer the question truthfully, then they have to admit that Messiah is both, uh, both pre and after David. He is preexistent eternally. Uh, who is that? He would have to be God. And the, and the Pharisees weren't going to say that, so they just stood there and didn't answer. They refused to answer Jesus' question. And the logical answer is that Jesus Messiah is God. Let her see the third title that we're all familiar with is he is the lamb. And not just any lamb. He's the lamb that was slain. Verse 6, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. It's the picture John is looking at. The Lamb of the Old Testament represented the temporary solution for mankind's sin, which required a lamb to be slain, its blood shed upon an altar, and its life poured out to atone for God's 
people. That's what they did in the Old Testament before grace, before Jesus Christ came, before the final lamb came. They had to take a lamb to the altar and sacrifice it for their sins. And then its blood would run down the altar. But this didn't completely take care of it. That was a temporary solution at best. It was like that stain in your carpet at home. Then when you hear the doorbell ring, you you, you look for something to throw over it. Well, you just put a a throw rug. I'm giving myself away here. (laughs) You throw it over. I know none of you had to do this. It's just me. I throw it over the stain because I don't want people to see it. But that doesn't deal with the stain, does it? It's still there. I've just covered it up. And that's what God was doing with the stain of Israel. He was covering up their sin, but it had to be dealt with permanently. And that's Jesus. He came as the final solution. He came as the final lamb that would ever need to be sacrificed to remove the sin of the world for those who claimed his name and his forgiveness That's why all creation cries out, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Well, we've seen reason one for worshiping Jesus because of his three esteemed titles that we just looked at. Now let's look at reason number two for worshiping Jesus because of his location. Reason number two, because of his location. Verse six, and I looked, this is John again writing, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns. Now, what does that number seven mean? Remember, it means completeness. He had seven horns, so complete. What does the horn represent? Well, it represents power. So Jesus has complete power. He is omnipotent. And seven eyes... Again, those eyes are the all-seeing eyes of, of Jesus. He, he, he is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Jesus reigns and resides at the right hand of his Father on his throne in heaven Notice he is at the center of all praise and of all that's taking place here in the picture we're being drawn this morning. The elders, the angels, the living creatures encompass Jesus as they give, them, give him their praise. Jesus is at the upper center of heaven. So reason one for worshiping Jesus because of his three esteemed titles Reason number two, because of his location. And here's reason number three, because of his actions. Because of his actions. Continuing in verse seven. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him, God, who sat on the throne. So during all this worship, Jesus walks over because his father has the scroll, the title deed, and he knows it's his. And he takes it from his father. Verse 8, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp. Now this is where, you know, we can get confused here. You know, people every once in a while will say, you know, in heaven, you lay on this cloud and you play a harp. 
Well, you know, if you know me, I, I'll do that for five minutes, but I gotta do something else. And there's gotta be something else to do in heaven, right? Tell me there is. And there, of course, there is. Person that, you know, the people that make this up just read this one piece and walk away and go, well, I guess we're gonna play a harp. In actuality, though, I translated this word uh, for harp is called zithern, zithern, which is an ancient guitar-like instrument. So it's cooler than a harp. Um, <laughs> I'm a guitar player. I apologize to all the harp players in the room. Yes, worship has instruments in heaven. I can't wait to get there to, to hear this and experience it. And, and not only that, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I love the analogy here because our prayers are precious to the Lord. They're kept in precious golden bowls, it says. And they bring a sweet and pleasing aroma to God. Now, how does, how does a... a, a um, a prayer ignite to be an aroma to God. Well, God is not, you know, we don't see him in a body. We see him as, as fire. So you, your prayers, when, God, when they meet God, are, are beautiful incense that burn before him. What prayers might these be? Well, we, we're not told. So apparently we don't need to know for sure. But, you know, I just picture some of the prayers would be the, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. Isn't that interesting? A new song. There will be no limit to the material for the worship team. They'll just go on for, I mean, there's always a new song. There's always something new to, to sing to Jesus. Saying, you are worthy to take the scroll now, when Roman rulers returned home from battle, Caesar or a general, they would come down in their white horse down the center of the street, and people would cry out these words, Vera Dinos, Vera Dinos, meaning you are worthy, you were worthy in Latin. Only Jesus, the one who conquered sin and death, though, is truly worthy of that kind of greeting. Verse 9, and to open its seals... This is a song that venerates now the gospel and spells it out. We're going to sing the gospel throughout heaven for all eternity. Here it is in verse 9. For you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Listen, heaven will be a beautiful rainbow of cultures and languages and peoples. Verse 10, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Believers are kings through our second birth, redeemed, adopted, and sealed by Jesus Christ himself. And one day we will rule with Jesus and also, we're now priests because we can go directly into the eternal throne room of God himself. Our prayers are in the golden bowl. We can go directly to him. We don't need a man priest to go to and say, hey, will you tell God this or will you ask him for this? We don't need that. 
We have Jesus. We go to Jesus with our prayers. We pray in his name. He's sitting next to the Father, and he takes our prayers and gives them to the Father. We don't need anyone else to go in between us and heaven. Reason number one for worshiping Jesus, because of his three esteemed titles. Reason number two, because of his location. Reason number three, because of his actions. And in closing, reason number four, because of his divine victory. Because of his divine victory. Continuing on in verse 11, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands and thousands, and it is millions of millions of millions of millions, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus is worthy because without his victory over sin, without his victory over death, it'd be hell for us. Only he has the power to save. Salvation is not found in anyone else or any other place. It is through Jesus Christ himself. Verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such are as in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen! And the 24 elders, the church, falls down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. What a worship service. This verse popped into my mind this week. I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even scratch the surface of what this is going to be like in heaven. It is going to be so mind-blowing. It's just going to just blow our minds when we get to stand or probably fall on our face when we enter the throne room for the first time. When we get to worship God in his own presence, and the lamb who was slain. Forevermore, we get to see him. And this multi-million person angel choir broke out in praise when the father handed the title deed and the will to his son. Jesus now owns it all, and therefore he will execute what is written on its pages. And next week, we're going to see some of the awesome things that are written on that scroll they're sobering. We're going to see expungement of sin. We're going to see exoneration of guilt. We're going to see vengeance for the saints and the bestowment of righteousness upon his forgiven children. And then we're also going to see his judgment, his wrath, and eternal damnation for those who have rejected the blood of Christ, rejected the offer of forgiveness from God himself. And the ultimate offense to God is the rejection of his son's gift. That's the ultimate rejection. But I hope our time and our study of worship in these two chapters has forever changed the way you think about worship. I know it has for me over this last week. 
And I hope we'll worship with a renewed sense each time that we have the opportunity to worship the Lord together, but also separately, that we'll look at what's going on in heaven and prepare ourselves for what we're going to be doing and be seeing here. It is awe-inspiring. And do you know that for throughout all eternity, worship won't be hard to do? Because every time we see the Lamb of God who has the appearance of being slain, those scars still in his palms, we're going to understand that the only reason I'm here is because of him. He's the one that deserves the worship, the glory, and the honor. It's not going to be hard to praise him. We're only in heaven because of of this lamb that was slain and his father who loved us so much that he gave us his son that anyone who would claim his forgiveness would not have to die, but forever get to live in heaven with the Lord. And not only experience it when we die and go to heaven, but experience a relationship with him right now. Who would reject something like that? Let's pray. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.